So this sermon is going to be about Jesus being the light of the world. In this sermon series called, called uh, The Great I Am. What's it actually entitled? I keep forgetting. The Great I Am. There you go. Thanks. Rediscovering uh, basically who God says he is through his names that mostly that he gives himself and some that other people give him in the Bible. And we've traced it through. We began with, uh, with his name in Exodus chapter 3 that he gives to Moses, that I am, that I am. This incredible uh, uh, expression of being that he never began, will never end, that God is, and have traced other names, mostly through the Old Testament. And now we've taken a turn, really, to the names of Jesus in the New Testament. And every name, obviously, that Jesus has ties him back to being God, and uh, that will continue today in John chapter 8. Our our main verse will be 8-12, and we'll be jumping around a little bit, as we always do, but Let's pray before we dive into the word and get started on Jesus as the light of the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for taking care of us in our need. We thank you for keeping Shane alive and for um, healing Elizabeth and for demonstrating your goodness, your faithfulness, your power through the lives of the people in this church. Thank you that you have enabled us to pray, given us the spirit that we may pray in the spirit, given us the word that we can pray according to your word, given us faith that we can trust in you, and then given us the experience of watching you be faithful. Uh, Would you strengthen our faith through that, Lord Jesus? As we head into the word today, would you open our eyes and our hearts, open our minds that we can see what you want to teach us. It is your word and it is living and active. Would you use it to correct us and rebuke us and train us up in righteousness? Would you reveal the things in our hearts that need to change? Would you empower us and equip us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? We lift all these things up to you, Lord Jesus, and we ask, well, that you would help us. You would help us understand. You would help us to pray for one another. And that you would help us to walk with you. And we pray this in your risen and exalted name. Amen. So John 8, 12 is where we're going to be. And the context of this is Jesus has been talking to these Pharisees. And then in John 8, 8, 1 through 11 is the, the where uh, Jesus has this, he, he writes in the, there's this woman who's caught in adultery and this kind of a interlude. And then in 8, 12, it kicks back to Jesus. He's in the temple. He's in the place where, where they give offerings, uh, commonly known as the as the, as the women's court, and there's a bunch of uh, torches around there inside that court. And so he is there speaking to, to the people in the public, and also the Pharisees are there, and also some of Jesus' disciples are there with him. And so he says this in 8.12. It says, Jesus spoke again to the people, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So very rarely for us, this is the one verse we're going to focus on, which is not typical, but we're going to dig into this verse, break it apart, and try to figure out what it is that God is saying here. So when Jesus says, I am, so these are seven great I am statements in the book of John. I am the bread of life. Here, I am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheep. I am uh, the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. These are seven great I am statements in the, in the book of John. And all, each of them are, are pointing to a different characteristic about who Jesus is. 
and what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us. And so when you ever see the phrase, I am, in the book of John in particular, you always want to pay attention. And it happens in this chapter a lot. Chapter 8, when he says, I am the light of the world, it says, I am a lot of things. You know, if you read down, he says, I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. I am the one who testifies for myself. I am going away. I am from above. I am not of this world. And then as you read through chapter 8, it kind of builds into this crescendo where he finally hits in verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus just declaring outright, I am the God of the Old Testament. It's where every Jew knew exactly what he was saying, which is why in verse 59 it says, at this they picked up stones to stone him. They knew that Jesus was saying, I am God. And so when he says, I am, you can imagine him sitting in the temple and he's saying all these things and it's like every time he says that word, the Pharisees are cringing. So he says, I am, and then what does he say he is? He says, the light of the world. So the word for light, there's the, word, the Greek word phos. We get the word phosphorus, like something that is a, a light emitting or light bearing. And it means light as seen by the eye. Meaning that, so light exists, right? But us as humans, my mind cannot see anything without the eye. I have to have an organ that can receive the images that come in and receive the light and then translate that into my mind so that I can then see the image. To be blind means that you can't see light. You can't see it. If you're in darkness, you're, you're blind, you can't see anything. And so this idea of, of uh, Jesus being a light of the world, it's always this uh, light as is seen by the eye. And we'll see this uh, dramatically demonstrated if you keep reading in, in uh, John chapter 9, after this incredible chapter the first thing Jesus says is he goes and he heals a blind man. It causes this enormous ruckus. But if you cannot see light, you are blind. You're not able to see the things that exist in our world. And he is the light of where? He's the light of the world. It's the word cosmos. It's the same word used in John 3.16 and otherwhere in the book of John. But it means in this context the inhabitants of the world. Not just the world like the physical globe that we all live on, but the people who live here. So I am the light that is seen by the eye of the people who live on this planet. And then he says this, whoever, so it's this declarative statement. Who is he? Well, I am the light of the world. Which, if you, in our context, we think, oh, this is amazing. Jesus would be nuts if he's just saying these things. Do you imagine some guy walking up to you and saying, by the way, I am the light of, I am the, light of the entire cosmos? What? You're insane. I mean, I would well, probably slap him because it's blasphemous. But like the, the idea of somebody saying these things is crazy. From our perspective and a Christian perspective, looking back, and this is our Lord and Savior, we know him. For Jesus to say the things that he says and the claims that he makes and not be Jesus means he's just nuts. I am the light of the world. And then he gives this statement. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So this word to follow means like a union or, or likeness in the way. Not just to necessarily follow, but, but to align your way with the way of someone else. So when he says, whoever follows me, it just means to follow. You can't follow Jesus. If Jesus is walking this way, you can't go that way and, be, and say you're a follower of Jesus because you're not following him. If he's walking one way, you have to actually walk the way he's going. Or you're not following Jesus. You can say all kinds of things. And we say all kinds of things as humans. But unless you're actually following the way of Jesus, you're not following him. Which seems really, really dumb for me to say. 
but the clarity of it is wonderful. So it says, whoever follows me, what's it mean to follow you? It means Jesus is walking in this way. What is the way of Jesus? It's the way of the word. It's the way of the father. It's the way of the son. It's the way of the spirit. It's the way that we see in the Bible. And he explains to us how we are supposed to live life like a follower of Jesus. We're supposed to be like him. And so whoever follows me, whoever goes the same way that I am going, will never walk in darkness. There's a double negative there in the Greek. So it's like some of your Bibles may say he will, they will not walk in darkness. But it's almost like they will, whoever follows me will know never walk in darkness. And the word for, for walk there is also, it's not just like uh, ambulating from one place to another, one place to another like it was a walk down the aisle. It, it means the whole, um, the whole sphere of life. So whoever follows me will never in the whole sphere of their life be in darkness. It's not just where you're going from one place to another, but what is the concept, the overall uh, um, message and meaning and outcome of your life. That's what it means to walk. So when we say like, like uh, later on in the, in the epistles where John will say, or excuse me, Paul will say to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's not just talking about, you know, taking two steps. He's talking about how do we live our lives. So whoever follows me, goes in my way, will never, as they go throughout the process of their life, the entire outcome of their life won't be in darkness, but always a word of contrast. Instead of being in darkness, they will have what? The light of life. So darkness is obviously the, uh, the absence of, of light. Darkness isn't a thing. It's just where light isn't. And so when Jesus says they'll be in darkness, usually in the Bible, darkness also has a, like a moral component. So it's not just, you can also be darkness. Like when uh, Nicodemus goes out to Jesus and it is dark, it's because the sun was down and it was dark outside. But darkness here and in most places mean ignorance of the ways of God and the wickedness and suffering that go along with that. So you don't know what God's ways are, and so you walk in ignorance, and you walk in wickedness, and because of that, you experience suffering. So those things are always tied together. There's this weighty moral component to that, and it's a, it's a misalignment with what God wants for us. But what will they have? They will have the light. Again, this word light of life, and this is where it gets really, really interesting. So Jesus says who he is. I am the light of the world. Then he says, and really it's this invitation, whoever follows me, you have this promise, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I was looking at a bunch of different translations uh, of this verse, and there's a lot. Um, one of them says, I am the light of the world. They all say that. But it says, the person who follows me will never live in darkness, but will have the light that gives life. That's the New Century Version, which I don't, I'm not super familiar with. But will have the light that gives life. The Phillips translation says the man who follows me will never walk in the dark, but will live his life in the light. This idea of as you walk, you'll have light to walk by. New Living Translation says, I am light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. If you've ever tried to walk in darkness, it's not very good. You fall because you'll have the light that leads to life. And then finally, well, let's be on another page here. There you go. All right, printing error. This one says, I am the light that shines through the cosmos. Listen to this one. If you walk with me, you will thrive in the nourishing light that gives life and will not know darkness. That's from a version called The Voice, which I've never, ever, ever heard of. And I, I don't know, maybe I won't ever read it again. But uh, I am the light that shines through the cosmos. I really like that. I mean, it's a Greek word. So if you walk with me, you will thrive in the nourishing light that gives life. It kind of gives this idea of plants or whatever. I like it. But and finally, the message, of course. I am the world's light. 
No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. Meaning, Jesus shines light so that we can live in it, so that we can walk in it. And when he says the light, obviously John, he's connecting all these things back to John 1 and John 3. As Treb looked at last week as, as the word, uh, through him all things are made, this is John 1, 3. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was what? The light of men. This connection with life and light together. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then there came a man who was sent from John. He was not the light. In verse 8, he himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. That's Jesus. As you see in John 3 also, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark. You know, the very famous John 3, 16 and 17 and then 18. And following that, though, is this. This is the verdict or the judgment. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. So you connect these things in through this, and Jesus is saying, this is, I am that light. I'm the light that gives light to life. I'm the light that illuminates things. So what does light do? Well, it shines, it emanates from a point, and I'm a physicist, I know that light is like shooting electrons, and it bounces off of things, and there's a whole bunch of Somebody's probably written a really great book about like the physics of light and how it works. And if you ever find that book, I'd love to read it. Let me know. But light shines, right? And where light isn't, you have shadow or darkness. So darkness is simply and always the absence of light. Just like cold is not really cold, it's the absence of heat. Darkness is the absence of light. Because where there is light, there cannot be darkness, so light shines, and as it shines, it exposes things. So light comes off of this thing, bounces off this music stand here, it bounces off my shirt, and it gets reflected to your eyes in the wavelength of the blue of the shirt, and you see me wearing a blue shirt, right? You see it, because you have an organ that can receive the light that bounces off of me and goes into your eyes, and your brain can then translate it into an image that you can then see and comprehend, right? A blind person can't see me, because they're blind, only a sighted person can see. So Jesus is coming up and he's saying, listen, you don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to be blind. And I'm going to demonstrate it here in the next chapter. He's not thinking the next chapter. As John writes it, I'm going to heal a blind man who is blind from birth. And Jesus comes to him and he gives him sight. And then he can see what? The light. So God has to do something in order to waken us up so that we can see the light of what he is doing. So as it exposes things, it also makes us able to see things that we couldn't see before. Have you ever been outside when it's uh, dawn and it's dark? As the light slowly comes up, you can just start to make out some distinction. Okay, this thing is a tree. All right, that's a building. That's a mountain. But you can't really see much yet. You just see the outline of things. And then as more light comes up, you can see it brighter, and you begin to be able to see color. And when the light is fully shining, you can see everything that is meant to see and the, all the vibrant richness of the color that God made our creation. And our eyes can receive those things. But it exposes something. You can have something in the dark that you don't know is there because you can't see it. There's a reason that people are afraid of the dark because I can't see what's there. It's the reason that in literature, in the Bible, and in all of history, 
bad things happen in the dark, like the dark ages. If you look at literature, look at, look at Voldemort. He's not the light lord. He's the dark lord. What color does Darth Vader wear? Black. What's the good side of the force? The light side of the force. See, humans know this because it's true. Darkness is bad. Light is good. And so light exposes that difference. Do you see that? It says, okay, this thing is black and this thing is white. This thing is here and it's not here. And you see, oh, that thing in front of me that I ran into walking around in the dark, oh, that's a tree. Now I can see it. I'm going to go around it. But do you see when light exposes things, this is the interesting thing about John chapter 3 when it says this. 319 says, this is the verdict or judgment. Light has come into the world. Jesus came and he exposed the human deeds of darkness. He made clear to everyone, I am the way and the truth and the life. And it says, but the men loved the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And Jesus exposes that we humans, as fallen humans, apart from him, we love the darkness. We like it there. It's cold and safe and dark. and We don't have to see all of our junk. And Jesus comes in and wants to shine light. For the unbeliever, he shines the light of salvation. And he shows us that we're sinners. And the Holy Spirit draws us to him. It says that if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and call out to the Lord, you can be saved. That's the gospel. And the Spirit of God works to illuminate the hearts of people as they hear the gospel. I got in a conversation with a kid at church camp last week. He's one of the counselors, and he's knee-deep in walking through the, well, how does someone, you know, Calvinism or Arminianism, walking through this thing. And I'm like, listen, little brother, look, you can, you can wade through that all day long. Here's what you need to know. Jesus saves people. And at some point, they have to believe. And he's like, well, how does that work? I'm like, I don't know. It's a mystery. Here's how, here's how to know. You preach the gospel to people. The spirit of God works, and people come to Jesus. And then you disciple them. He's like, well, what's the process of that? I'm like, you get knee-deep in that thing, and you get lost in the weeds. Here's what I know. Salvation is a mystery, and it is a glorious work of God. Somewhere in that process, you and I had to believe, had to trust that what God says is true, turn from our sin and repent and turn to Christ and ask him to save us. If we overcomplicate things, we just end up muddying the waters and we just end up talking about stuff we don't even understand. But anyway, side note. But Jesus shines this light which exposes and judges and brings a verdict. And people don't like that very much. People don't like verdicts. And we're gonna talk about that in just a minute here. But then he says, I bring the light of what? Life. If you were with us and we were going, teaching through the book of John, we spent probably four, six weeks in chapter five. We're not going to go back and spend six more weeks in chapter five. But the reason we spent so much time in there is because Jesus says things like this in John five. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. It's incredible words, right? Anybody who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, will not be condemned, is crossed over from life to death, from darkness to light. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It's amazing. Jesus could call out to Lazarus, dead for four days, and Lazarus would wake up. For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. You can go on a really deep dive with this, which is what we did as we went through John. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. The point being this. God, the life that God gives 
is self-existent. It does not come from somewhere else. All other life everywhere is derived from God's life. So you and I live a derivative life given by God, the giver of life. He gives that life and takes it away. This is why Christians value life so much and why we should fight for all things that are alive. Across the whole spectrum, I will not get political, but we should be on the side of life. Why? Because our God is a God of the living. And he is the God who imparts life and is the one who can take it away. So when we say life, all of that comes from God. The breath that we sing a song that the breath that I breathe is from you. That's true. And to live otherwise is to live in ignorance of the reality that God is the giver of your life. I'm sitting up here breathing. My heart is beating. Shane's heart is beating in the ICU in Houston because God has allowed him to live and is healing his body. There is no doubt. We did not think Shane was going to make it on that flight. We just didn't. Between like you, me, and a tree stump or whatever, we were preparing for Shane to not be here anymore with us and just to see him again in glory. Matter of fact, I called him before he got on the plane just because I wanted to hear his voice one more time. We were not... We, didn't have, we had no guarantee. And honestly, I don't either. My guarantee is that God is the source of my life. And as long as he gives me life, I will have it. And when this life ends, I just move into the eternal life that I'm already experiencing now. So when we talk about the life that we live here, the physical life, and then the eternal life that Jesus promises us, if you look at John 3.16, whoever believes in me will not perish, but will have eternal life. How can life be eternal unless it is given by the one who exists in all of eternity. God never began and he never ended. And so the life that he has, the self-existent that he life, when he gives life to a dead person who's dead in their sins, the life that he gives is eternal. And it means that eternity reaches into now and we begin to experience eternity here on earth. Which is why Jesus can say, if you keep reading in John, when he says in 831, to the Jews who believed in him, he said, I, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because Jesus has reached into our present day with the eternal life of God. And that life sets free from darkness. So when Jesus comes up and he says, you will have the light of life, he's talking about himself. So that I can trust that the light that I walk by is not just something that some person says or some book that I read or some really good philosophy or some really great method of organizing my life and organizing my time and if I have positive enough thinking and blah, 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 blah. No, I need Christ himself to be my life. He is the source of my life. This is the thing that blows my mind about Christianity. It says that entirely apart from every other world religion, Muhammad does not live in the heart of the Muslim. Christ lives in the heart of the believer. The second member of the Trinity, God himself, who created all things, lives in the life of every believer. And it should change how we live. He says, I have, or you will have, I have, you have the light of life, if you follow him. And just like he said to the disciples, if you hold to my teachings, you were my disciples. If you want to reject all the teachings of Jesus, if you want to say, Jesus, you go that way, I'm going to go this way. Don't expect to live a life in the light. It won't happen because the light's over there. You either follow the light or you walk in the darkness. There are no other options. And this is the great clarity that the gospel brings, which is where it's going to bring me to my final point here. Following Jesus brings clarity. It brings us 
clarity. Jenny and I have been trying to figure out our two youngest are in, um, <clears throat> all of our kids are now in public school. And you don't have to read a lot of news to know that things are going on in public schools that are contrary to the truth of the gospel, okay? Lots of things. I mean, they always have, right? I mean, anybody who rode a school bus in sixth grade, you know, that's the world right there, right? So uh, it was back in like 1987, whenever I was in sixth grade, and it was back in, uh, it was, you know, last week, and it will be on Thursday when Joseph, Lord Garden, will ride a school bus for the first time. It's like a seven-minute ride from one school to the other. And they can learn a lot in those seven minutes. So they're in the world. They are in the world. And so Jenny and I were going back and forth trying to figure out our life group. And people around us were praying, praying, praying. Lord, give us clarity. Lord, give us direction. Should we keep our kids in public school? Should we put them in, uh, uh, in private school? Should we put them in all these other options, right? And we wrestled and went through all these things and applied to different places and visited different places. And the Lord we were coming up on a deadline, which was last Friday. Uh, we have to decide because school starts this week. And like, do we buy school uniforms or do we buy this thing? And so who do we, what supply this? All these things. And the Lord just brought peace to Jenny and I. And then he brought clarity. He brought clarity. He closed doors and options for us. And then he gave us peace in our hearts as we sought him and the, the saints prayed for us and we sought clarity in the word. It brings clarity in, in situations like this. So let's say, uh, let's say Carl and, uh, and his wife, Carla, let's say they are, uh, they are they're off and, and, and Carla decides that there's this really great guy at work and I'm really, he's really good friends and, and Carl and I have been kind of distant, but it's okay. This, he, he said, hey, let's go, get, let's go get coffee after work one day. And so Carla says, okay, that sounds great. It's probably not a really good idea for Carla to uh, engage in any kind of an emotional connection with somebody who's not her husband. The word of God would shine light into that. The word of God would bring clarity to that decision. Because Carla doesn't wake up on Tuesday and say, oh, I'm going to have an affair today and destroy my marriage and my family. That's what I'm going to do. Nobody does that. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to ruin my life and the life of all the people I love. They don't do that. If you could talk to a 15-year-old kid and say, hey, if 15-year-old uh, Carl, and say, hey, 15-year-old Carl, if you start looking at pornography and get addicted to it, it's going to ruin a lot of life, and you're going to have to climb out of a hole that you're going to dig for yourself. Jesus will heal you, but it's going to hurt a lot of people. He might, if he could see that, not dive in there. The Word of God gives us clarity in that. As a matter of fact, the New Testament tells us to flee from two things. Flee from idolatry and flee from sexual immorality. You know, it doesn't even tell us to flee from the devil. What does it tell us to do with the devil? Resist him, standing firm in your faith, and who flees? He flees from us. Why? Because Jesus is in us. So if I stand firm in Jesus, what's the devil going to do? Roar. Well, I've got a bigger lion. He's the lion of Judah. And when the devil roars, my lion roars, and it's like Aslan standing there and everybody falls down, right? It's like Jesus. When he's sitting there in the book of John and they come to get him, and they say, are you him? And he says, I am he. He says, I am. And everybody falls down. Jesus is not some peasant carpenter that people made up or some hero that they wrote about later. He was God incarnate who came and lived a perfect life when we could not, died on a cross for our sins and rose from the dead. He is ascended into heaven, is at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back to judge the earth. This is who Jesus is. So when we say that he is the light of life, it brings clarity. So it brings clarity to us just in daily life. It brings clarity to us when we're wrestling with sin. 
you know, if I'm thinking about, I'm going to steal this thing, God says don't steal stuff. So don't. It brings clarity. It also brings clarity to us as we navigate the world that we're in. Um, it will be no surprise if you're paying attention that the world is a hot mess and has been for a really long time. But there is a devastating lack of clarity in our world today about things that should be clear. So talking about how the world brings clarity, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but it's time for us to say something about it. So in Genesis, God makes people. And it says, God looks at Adam and he's like, it's not good for you to be alone, so I'm going to make you a helper. And he makes Eve. And he makes them, very interestingly, when he makes human beings, it says, and this is in 127, uh, 126. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, livestock and all over the earth and over the creatures that move along the ground. Another bit of clarity is that God made us for, to have dominion over his creation and to care for it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, which is a denotation of gender. He created them. It used to be easy to say, what is a man and what is a woman? Now it's really complicated. Is that clear? No. Darkness obscures clarity. Jesus brings clarity to the things of the dark. He brings clarity to the things that are obscure. So we as light bearers, as children of light, as those who have the light of the gospel in our hearts, we have the truth of Jesus. It does me no good not me. It does a person that I'm trying to help no good for me to go there and crawl into their lie with them. If someone is stuck down in a pit and I'm up top and I've got a rope, it does me no good to cut the rope and dive in the pit with them. That would be crazy. Then the person would just be like, why are you down here? I guess there's two of us now. If you die first, I'll eat you. I mean, that's no good. I'm stuck. I need help. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples, and you know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. See, the light of Jesus shines light on that which is true and that which is a lie. The greatest lie ever is this, and is what the devil started with Adam and Eve, is this, that God doesn't love you. That is the great lie. Because if I believe the lie that God does not love me, then I won't trust in his words. So if I believe that he doesn't love me, I won't trust in who he is and what he's done, and it won't affect my life. But if I believe that God loves me, that he's made me in his image, that he has made me for a purpose, that what he says to me is good, and that his way is the right way, it's the way of life, it's the way of light, it's the way of clarity, then when he says to walk in a certain way, I walk in that way. So when it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, when it comes to you, husbands, when it comes to the option of how do I die to myself today so that I can love my wife like Jesus, all of a sudden you've got a lot of clarity in the decisions that you make. When it comes to talking to someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction, it does me no good to come alongside them and say everything is okay. It isn't. 
God has said that sexual immorality destroys us. Peter says that it wages war against our soul. Why would I come alongside somebody who's engaging in sexual immorality and say, that which God says wages war against your soul, I will now ally with you and walk in it. How does that free someone? It doesn't. Broken people are hurting. Can I just start this next section with this? Broken people need our humility, they need our love, they need our courage, they need us to be courageous for them. They need us to believe for them, to walk alongside them and put our arm beside them and say, there is a better way. Jesus' way is better. I know that this is hard. There is a way that seems impossible from where you're at, but Jesus is able to help you. The, I don't know how to put it into a category anymore. The transgender movement in our country is obscured in darkness. It's not the truth. God made humans male and female. Even just a, a, a look at the creation shows that. You've got boy dogs and girl dogs. You've got boy bees and girl bees. You've got plants that have male and female parts. That's how we label them. Like you have, it takes two trees to make a fruit. Like it's not, I'm not a biologist. I don't know. But it's, it's just evident in creation. So when humanity comes up and says what is, what is clearly evident to a child is wrong, we have to look back and say, okay, what does God's word say? And God's word says that he created us male and female. That was the ideal. And then sin has come in and broken things. Broken. Broken creation. So that when someone is struggling against what God has said that I have set up to be a certain order, we have to come to that person and put our arm around them and say, this is the way and the truth and the life. I know that you're hurting, but I want you to walk in the truth. And I'm probably going to offend somebody and I'm probably going to step on somebody's toes. And if someone ever listens to this, I may get in trouble for it, but I don't really care because it's true. Jesus says that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If we speak the world's language to a dark and broken world, we help no one. Only if we speak the truth into the darkness as we walk as children of light, can we help anyone at all? If I was to go and turn off all of these lights in here, and I was actually planning on doing that, but I don't want to scare any babies or anything, so turn off all the lights and then stand up here. You couldn't see me. You could hear my voice, but you couldn't see me. If I told all of you to stand up and walk to me, there would be a lot of clattering of chairs and people falling down. Why? Because God did not create us to walk in the darkness. He created us to walk in the light. That's why he gave us eyes. So that I can see things and walk. But if there's no light, the organ which God created to receive the light is useless. That's why little critters that live in caves or whatever, they, just, they adapt to not have any eyes. Because there's no light, they don't need them. So the eyes go away. And if you sit in the darkness for long enough, your capacity to understand the light atrophies. And you have to have some massive experience like Paul did on the road to Damascus where he's overwhelmed by what? Light. And the scales fell from his eyes and he turned from his ways and he turned to Christ. The life and the light of Jesus brings us clarity. And brothers and sisters, we are in a world that desperately needs us to speak a message in absolute love and grace and kindness, but clarity to bring the truth 
to the people in the dark. Not to condemn. Do you understand? We can't, we're not the ones who condemn. Jesus said that I did not come to condemn because those people stand condemned already. That's the message of John 3.17, right? Listen to this. He says, okay, we, we hold up the sign at football games, but 18 says this in chapter 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Anyone who's not believed in Jesus is condemned already. They don't need me to condemn them. They need me to love them and tell them the truth. Anyone who is walking in darkness doesn't need my judgment. They need Jesus. He judges. We walk his way. And as we walk his way with the people that he brings us around, we speak the truth to them in love, which may be the hardest thing that any human ever has to do. So where do we go from here? Um, there is no other truth apart from Jesus. And I'm going to say that as a categorical statement. Meaning, if there is a truth that is contrary to the clear truth of God and the word of God, it is not true because light brings clarity. If Jesus says, don't do it, if he says, love your neighbor and I refuse to love my neighbor, I'm walking in sin. If he says to forgive as God forgave us in Christ and I choose not to do that, I'm walking in sin. That's clarity, right? If I choose not to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, I'm sinning. That's clarity. It brings clarity to things. So where does that leave us? leaves us with one and one option only, and that is to follow Jesus. That means submit to him, to walk and surrender to him, and to lay down my life before him, and to follow in his way. And if I would say that we're not meant to do that thing alone, Jesus never designed the body of Christ to be like globs of meat laying on the sidewalk. It's a body legs and arms and it all works together and he organized this is a local body that prays and gives and loves like nowhere else I've ever seen other churches down the street up the road local bodies all part of the global body of Christ the church with the big C we are all part of Christ's body and to the degree to which we follow him is the degree to which we will be fruitful for his kingdom and the degree to which we choose not to follow him is the degree to which we are not fruitful we're not helping anything or anyone at all. So my encouragement to you, if you're bearing a lot of weight right now, if you're like, Ugh, I don't like these things he's saying, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't know how to engage in the world that I'm in. I don't know how to have a conversation with like that with somebody. You know what? If you've got a friend who you grew up with as, 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 and, and they're now like, I, I, am, I, am a, I am a lizard king. Make it funny, right? Because it's, I am, I am a giant lizard, and I have a kingdom that I reign over, and it's in my backyard, and I wear my lizard king crown. You would go to that person, and you would say, hey, um, Carl, like, brother, you're not a lizard. You're Carl. Um, can we, let's, let, let's help you out. You would speak the truth to that person. If you have someone, and let's just talk about it, the elephant in the room, someone who is struggling with their own gender identity, it does not help us to come alongside them and to say, just do whatever you want. It helps me to come alongside them and say, there's a truth in God's word, and if you will live by the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if they choose not to do that, you can't do anything about that. But you can speak to the truth to them in love, and you can suffer alongside them as they walk through that. And you need to do that in community. If you're having to walk alongside someone like that, to love someone who's so deeply wounded, you're going to need a lot of people around you. 
uh, Jenny and I did not make the decision to send our kids to school. We had like 80 people praying for us. I'm not kidding. Like 80. Just to, just to where do we put our kids in school? That's not even that big of a decision, right? If you're walking with somebody through the darkness, you're going to need a lot of people with you. All right, let me pause and we're going to pray and then we will uh, end our time responding in worship. We structure this whole service that as we receive the word of God, we then get to respond to him in worship. It is vitally important and it's there for a purpose that we can take what God is teaching us, even if it's very, very painful. And that in this moment, as we sing a song, that you deal with those things in your heart before God, that you ask him for clarity, that you ask him for direction, ask him to shine light into your darkness. Take the time that is here and worship the Lord. Lord, we come to you and I just I lift up my sweet people to you and I just, I just feel heavy, Lord. I didn't mean for this whole thing to be so heavy. And, and yet heaviness maybe is, is the appropriate thing as we, as a church, you know, we put on our billboard to love God and love Jesus and love people and follow Jesus. We put it on a sign out in front of our building. And then when loving God is hard, help us to press into that. When, when loving people is hard, we need your help. When following Jesus means that we have to say things that are hard and impossibly hard, we need your spirit to fill us with your courage to do what is right, to speak the truth in love, to bring people to Jesus, to open up the Bible and say, this is what the word of God says. Read it for yourself. I will read it with you. Lord, this is what you do for us. You bring us to yourself. You do not leave us or forsake us. You do not tell us to go speak the truth and love to people and to do it in our own power. Instead, you fill us with the very spirit of God. You fill us with yourself, Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of life, the author and perfecter of faith who created all things, who is the initiator and sustainer of life, who is the image of the invisible God, you are with us. We are not alone. And the lie of the devil is that we are alone and we are unloved. But the truth of the gospel is that you love us and out of love for us, came for us, rescued us, redeemed us, and then have filled us with everything we need for life and godliness. Lord Jesus, this world desperately needs this church to walk out the truth that you are the light of the world. I am not the light of the world. No person in this building is the light of the world. Only our risen and exalted Jesus is the light of the world. And you are powerful to save, powerful to redeem, powerful to transform. The word of God is full of transformation stories. People who are in great darkness, who have seen the light of the gospel. Would you equip us and encourage us to carry that light with us and to bring the light of the world into all the dark places we live? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song and seal these truths in our hearts that Jesus is the light, that we want to fix our eyes on him.
Tim just got a message from Erica that Shane's uh, lungs are not functioning properly, and so they're trying to do some things with him. So as you go home today, please continue to intercede for Shane. We'll update you as you get news. I wanted to end with the end of the story, which is in Revelation 22. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. This is our hope. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be in their foreheads. Listen, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. This is the truth. This is the hope that we call all people to. If I said something that hurt your feelings or upset you, please contact me. Or if you want to know how to walk through something, I invite you to email me or talk to me afterwards. But follow Jesus. He is the light of the world, and he's our only hope. So go in peace.